Father in heaven, thank you again for this church. Thank you for the faithfulness that they have shown you for 32 years. Thank you for the impact that they've had, not only in the community surrounding them, but all around the world and across our nation. I pray, Father, that you'd bless them for that. I pray that you'd encourage them and strengthen them, edify them. And Father, I also pray that you would convict the lost tonight, that they would see Christ in a clear way. I pray, Lord, you would discipline my tongue. I pray that you'd give me the grace I need to preach. I pray that I would be a holy conduit in which your spirit and power flows. I pray that you would keep me from pride. I pray that nothing that we would do tonight would hinder the lost from seeing Christ. And I pray that when they do see Him, that His goodness would overwhelm them, that not even their own condition would distract them from the beauty of Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We have a a bit of a, a long introduction, but it'll all build a foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and if you'd stand please as we read the text. The Apostle Paul, moved by the Holy Ghost, writes to the church at Corinth, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the intent, We should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. If you would go to verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Thank you. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul, and we could look at several different examples tonight. We could look at John chapter 3 where Jesus tells Nicodemus to remember the brass serpent, the brazen serpent that was used in the wilderness and how that that serpent must be lifted up and the Son of Man must be lifted up just like that brass serpent. And we say, well, how would a serpent be a picture or a shadow or type of Jesus Christ? Well, He was our substitute. He took our place. He became sin for us. And so He's lifted up in our place and as our substitute. And Jesus said, that's a picture of what has to happen to the Son of Man. In 1 Corinthians 10, we just read here that the Apostle Paul said that there were pictures of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament to help us understand the beauty and the work of Christ. And he referenced the rock that was used in the wilderness for the children of Israel. Let me say quickly as a side note that we must be very careful with pictures of Jesus Christ. Jesus was pictured in that rock. Moses allowed his own temper, his own emotion, his own self to get in the way of Israel understanding the significance of of water coming from that rock. And instead of speaking to the rock as God commanded, He smote the rock a second time. God kept Him out of the promised land because of that. We must be very careful with pictures of Jesus Christ. That's important because this church is the body of Christ. This church is to represent Christ in the community And we must be very careful how we conduct our lives, beloved. Because if we are not careful, we could stand in judgment from God that we would be guilty of ruining a picture of Christ as those who claim to be ambassadors of Christ, those who claim to be in Christ's stead, 
beseeching others to be reconciled to God. And so we must be very careful how we live our lives. I listened to a message not many weeks ago by a man named J. Edwin Orr. He wrote a couple of hymns that might even be in your hymn book. He was preaching on revival. I believe that the heart of the church this week is to be revived, to be reminded again of God's goodness in our lives, and to respond accordingly. We want to be revived. Well, what does revival mean, and how does it start? The preacher had heard a story about revival that broke out in China, in the Shinzu province, back in the late 1800s. And they wrote over and asked, tell us about the revival. What is the revival like? What's it like being there? And one of the Chinese women who was a convert echoed what the missionary said. And I'm quoting now, revival is like judgment day. Revival is like judgment day. How is that? Because it wasn't hooping and hollering and hand-waving and shouting and happiness. It was weeping and confession of sin. It was God's people being honest before God about their own condition. And then came the happiness and the shouting and the joy. But first, there was contrition. There was confession. There were saved people being serious about their lives before God. That's how true revival starts. It doesn't start with emotion. It doesn't start with excitement and getting all worked up because the preacher has a great personality and he uses the best illustrations and we laugh and we cry and he brings us all over on an emotional roller coaster. That's not how revival starts. Revival starts by God showing His people their condition before Him and then them making themselves right before Him. Now we want the lost to be saved. But the lost being saved is not how revival starts. The lost being saved is a result of revival. It's God's people taking serious who we are before Him. And so as we look tonight at these pictures, this particular picture of Christ, let us make sure that our hearts are right before God and with each other. And if there's someone, saved person, child of God, that you're not right with, then promise the Lord you're going to make it right with them as soon as possible. That nothing would hinder Him from working tonight. God God will not bless us tonight unless we are honest before Him, that we say any good that comes from tonight, we promise to give you all the glory for. We'll be quick to give you the glory because you deserve it. And so, may we all be right with Him as we enter into this message. Not only for our sake, but for the lost who are about to hear a message on the significance and beauty of Christ. Pray. Pray. So the Apostle Paul is telling us here about this picture of Christ, this spiritual rock. And he says it was for our example. Now you have to remember that God knew how to give pictures that would show who Jesus would be and what He would do. No better one could create pictures of Jesus than God Himself, than the Word Himself, than the Son of God Himself, than the Spirit of God Himself. And so as we look at this picture tonight, no God's the one that designed it and put it together. This wasn't a prophet or an apostle that said, let me try to see if I can come up with something that could help you understand how wonderful Jesus is. No, this was God that did this. And so God gives us a picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Before we go to the text, I want to give you the backstory so that you understand the significance of what we're going to be reading. The capital punishment by God's law was right. If you took the life of another man, then your life would be taken. An eye for an eye. You've heard the expression before. Why is that? Because killing a man is not the same thing as killing an animal. We are made in the image of God. That ought to matter. We have a day today where life is just disregarded as unimportant. That's why our country can murder babies and think nothing of it. 
That's why we can look at other people with different skin color than we have and judge them based on the color of their skin. That's why we can look at a man that wears a badge and assume he must be a good guy, look at a person who has different color skin and say they must be a bad guy. Let me, let me remind you, beloved, that it doesn't matter the color of the skin or how shiny the badge is. We're all sinners. We're all in need of a Savior. And there are no uh, exemptions. There are no exemptions for sinners. Well, well, we've suffered more than other people. doesn't matter. You're still a sinner. You still need Christ. Well, well, we've done all this good. doesn't matter. You're still a sinner. You still need Christ. And every other human being is an image bearer of God. That's why when the lawyers came to Jesus and said, tried to trick Him and say, uh, Jesus, tell us, um, is it lawful for us to pay tribute to Caesar? Because if he says, uh, no, it's not because we only have king, God as our king, well, then they could report him to the Romans as an insurrectionist. But if he said, well, yes, of course you should pay tribute to King Caesar, then they could say, oh, so you really don't believe that we have a theocracy. You really don't believe God is in control of our people. They're trying to trick Jesus. But you remember Jesus' answer? He said, show me the coin. Show me the penny. Show me the, the coin. Whose image is on it? They said, Caesar's. Then give to Caesar what Caesar's. But then he continued and said, give to God what is God's. The image of Caesar is on the coin. Give it to Caesar. But friend, the image of God is in and on you. You have been made in His image. So give to God what is God's. He deserves you. He deserves your life. He created you. You were made in His image. That's why it's so serious, murder. The taking of an image bearer of God's life as insignificant. And so God said, if you take a life, your life will be taken. But God is a good God. And God knew that men are not perfect. And there would be a time when an accident might happen. And a man could be on a job site or working and suddenly something were to happen and he would slay a man. He would be a manslayer. And it was an accident. He was innocent. It wasn't intentional. There was no premeditation. God said, I'm going to make a plan for you. Think of this, that God would do this. I'm going to make a plan for you. The children of Israel have gone into the promised land. They're given all their land, all the tribes except for one, the tribe of Levite. The Levites. They're given 48 cities. All the other tribes are responsible to provide food for them and sustenance and give them provision. And the Levites get 48 cities scattered all throughout Israel. And six of those 48 cities were labeled a city of refuge. It was a special city. It was a city that if someone took the life of somebody else, they could flee to this city. They could run to this city of refuge. It was a city built up on a hill so it could be seen from a distant way. It was a city that the way had to be made clear so that the people that needed to get there could get there. And here's what God said. The avenger of blood has the right to take your life. If someone killed my brother, I would be able to avenge them and take their life. But... If it was an accident and they ran to the city of refuge, I, as the avenger of blood, would have no right to take their life. Because once they're in the city of refuge, they're safe. And they're safe as long as the high priest lives. The high priest represents the law. And they would have a tribunal, they'd have a, they'd have a, a, a court. And if that person was found innocent... The, the, the witnesses have spoken. We understand the circumstance. You're not guilty of murder. You can stay in the city. And you are, as long as the high priest lives, you're, you're here. And when the high priest dies, then you can go out free. This is a picture of the law dying. That's a whole other sermon for another time. But if they were found guilty, then their life would be taken. So you better believe it. If you killed somebody, you needed to get to a city of refuge. It was the only place you could run to to be safe. You couldn't go to your grandma's. You couldn't go to your uncle's. You couldn't go to your aunt's. You had to go to the city of refuge. 
The city of refuge was a gift from God. And it was also a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cities of refuge say that God demands justice, but God is also merciful. The city of refuge. If you take your Bible and turn back with me to the book of 2 Samuel, I want you to show you a story, and I will not be able to go through the entire story with you tonight, but for reasons to help us understand the main point of the message, I want to tell you about a man named Abner. Most of you know that the northern kingdom, Judah and Israel, were at war. King Saul has died. He was trying to kill David. Of course, David's God's anointed. David survived. The kingdom will eventually be in David's hands, but we're not there yet. David hasn't written Psalm 18 just yet. Ishbosheth is still alive, and uh, he is the king of Israel. And Abner serves Ishbosheth faithfully. Abner is a mighty man. He's a strong man. David is in, is in Judah. He's in a city called Hebron. He is with Joab, his general. And so if you could picture in your mind's eye, there are two kings, King David and King Ishbosheth. There are two commanders-in-chief. There are two generals, Joab under David and Abner under Ishbosheth. One day, Abner and Joab meet, and there's going to be a battle. But Abner decides it's too much to do that. Let's just let the young men fight. And so they do, and all of them die. Joab's brothers, names Azahel, sees Abner and decides he's going to kill him. He wants to do what David did to Goliath. He wants to be the hero. And so this young man named Azahel begins chasing Abner. It wasn't a fair fight. Abner could easily kill Azahel. But Azahel will not heed Abner's warning. And Abner knew how Joab would respond if he killed his brother Azahel. So in 2 Samuel chapter 2, I want you to look with me at verse 18. There were three sons of Zariah there, Joab and Abishai and Azahel. And Azahel was as light of foot and as a wild roe. He could run like a deer. And Azahel pursued after Abner, and in going in, he turned not to the right hand or the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Art thou Azahel? And he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn thee aside to thy right hand or thy left, and lay thee hold on one of the young men, and take thee his armor. But Azahel would not turn aside from following of him. And Abner said again to Azahel, Turn thee aside from following me. Wherefore should I smite thee to the ground? How then should I hold up my face to Joab thy brother? Howbeit he refused to turn aside. Wherefore Abner, with the hinder end of the spear, smote him under the fifth rib, that the spear came out behind him, and he fell down there and died in the same place. It came to pass that as many came to the place where Azahel fell down and died, stood still. 24 says that Joab and Abishai, Azahel's brothers, chased after Abner. They didn't catch him. They ended up giving up the chase. and Abner basically got away. Now, Azahel was warned, and Abner said, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to kill you. You've got to stop. You know, don't, don't, don't do this. Azahel wouldn't listen, and he died because of it. Abner killed Azahel, Joab's brother. Joab did not forget what Abner had done. We don't have time to go through all of the story, so I'll trust that you trust me. Time passes. David has children. He establishes Hebron as his headquarters. And time goes on and time passes. And Ishbosheth, the king of Israel, accuses Abner, his right-hand man, of immorality with one of his father's concubines. Abner is angry. How could you accuse me of disloyalty? Do you realize what I have protected you from against King David? Do you realize that I'm the one that's protected your life? And the Bible says that Ishbosheth was afraid of Abner. And he wouldn't even talk to him. Well, this was the final straw for Abner. He decided that he was not going to be loyal to Ishbosheth anymore. And so he wrote to King David. And he said, let's make peace. I have enough connections. 
you want to be king of Israel, I can make that happen. If everybody finds out that I'm on your side now, we'll have peace in Israel. Of course David wants peace in Israel. And so David invites Abner. He puts a big feast out for Abner. And he says, let's do this. They shake hands. They make an agreement. And the Bible says that Abner left in peace. The Bible also says that Joab found out about it. And he was not happy. He was so mad that he spoke disrespectfully to the king. In chapter 3, he is enraged and he mistreats King David. Excuse me, mistreats King David. And he secretly sends after Abner. Chapter 3, verse 24. Then Joab came to the king and said, What hast thou done? Behold, Abner came unto thee. Why is it thou hast sent him away? And he is quite gone. Thou knowest, Abner the son of Ner, that he came to deceive thee, and to know thy going out and thy coming in, and to know all that thou doest. David, are you stupid? Are, are you mad that you would allow this man to come into our place? You know he's a deceiver. How could you do this? And without King David's knowledge, and without King David's permission, verse 26 says that Joab was come out from David, he sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again from the well of Sirah, but David knew it not. Please note verse 27. This is where the entire message hinges. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak to him quietly and smote him there under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Azahel, his brother. Do you see that? He killed him the same way you killed my brother. I'll kill you. And he killed him for the blood of Azahel, his brother. Notice David's response. It's, it's confusing. And afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Look at verse 30. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, slew Abner because he had slain their brother, Azahel at Gibeon, in the battle. And David, look at verse 31 please, And David said to Joab and to all the people that were with him, Rend your clothes and gird you with sackcloth and mourn before Abner. And King David himself followed the bier. And they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. And the king lamented over Abner and said, Died Abner as a fool. Dieth, thy hands were not bound, and thy feet put into fetters. As a man falleth before wicked men, so fellest thou. And all the people wept again over him. David? Well, why are you mourning? Why are you crying? Why is this such a tragedy? The enemy has been killed. Why are you asking, did not Abner die like a fool? His hands weren't tied. His feet weren't bound. Why is this so tragic? It's tragic because it didn't have to happen. You see, the Bible tells us not only that Abner died, but the Bible tells us where Abner died. In verse 27, the Bible says, Joab took him aside in the gate and smote him there there if you mark your bibles you might want to underline that word he died there the reason it's tragic is because hebron was one of the six cities of refuge a few more steps and abner would have been safe but he died do you know why he died? Because he was in the gate, not in the city. He was almost safe. But almost safe isn't safe enough. There are many people that are just like that today. They are in church, but they are not in Christ. And being in church, being in a place that preaches Christ is not the same thing as being in Christ. 
And Azahel was killed by Abner, and Abner died because of it. Abner forgot that God had made a law, that there is an avenger of blood. And he allowed himself, Rob, to be convinced that he'd be just fine. Why? Why is that possible? Why would Abner allow that? But while we can't be for sure, we can get some things from the Scriptures that tell us that Abner knew, I can't kill Azahel. I will never be able to lift my head up to Joab again. You remember him saying that? Well, why in the world is he going to meet Joab now? Well, too much time has passed. Abner got comfortable. Abner didn't think it was such a big deal anymore. Joab did, though. Joab hadn't forgotten. Joab, the avenger of blood, he knew what he was able to do. And if you're lost here tonight, I want you to understand there is an avenger of blood. It's called the law of God. It says that you are guilty and because you have broken the law of God, you deserve death. The wages of sin is death. You must die. You've lived your life in rebellion against God. You know that you're lost. You refuse to turn to Him. And God will justly say when it is time, and if you never get saved, He will cast you into hell because that's where you deserve to go. But I remember speaking to some of you. I remember hearing some of you when you first knew that you were lost, when you first understood that you're not saved, there was a seriousness about it. There was a soberness about it. Where has that gone? Abner got comfortable. Too much time has passed. He forgot his position. And perhaps you've forgotten yours, lost friend. Because the Bible says in John chapter 3, that you are condemned already. Nothing has to happen for God to condemn you. You're condemned already. That's why God did not send His Son in the world to condemn the world. Because that's already done. It would be redundant to condemn sinners. We are already condemned apart from Christ. No, God sent His Son to save you, not to condemn you. You are condemned already. Abner forgot that. He forgot his real position. Well, I talked to King David, and and King David's fine. Joab says, yeah, but I've got the law of God. I, I know what I'm allowed to do, and I know where I'm allowed to do it. And so he deceitfully, I'm not saying he was right to do it, but it was on purpose he took him aside in the gate. Whoa, 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 don't go in there just yet. Joab thought he was safe. He dismissed the idea of anything being serious now. Too much time has passed. He used to be concerned, but not anymore. He thought he was safe. Things were going so well. His life is turned around. The, 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 at one time, the, the King David thought he was an enemy. Now he's offering me a position. Life is looking up. Things are looking good. I'm going to go back. I'm going to tell my friends that I met with King David. And I'm going to go, go back and tell them what's going to happen. I'm going to come back in. I'm going to be on David's cabinet. My, I, I'm going to get a better job. I'm going to build bigger barns. Life is going great. He forgot. He forgot. Joab wanted to kill him. He allowed his circumstances to distract him from his true condition. Things are going too well. David said, I'll be fine. I don't have to do what I said I would do right away. David told me to go get people and bring them back for peace. Well, I don't have to do that right away. Oh, Joab wants to see me? I mean, you think about it. What must have gone through his mind? Hey, Joab would like to meet with you. You'd think that would have been a red flag. You'd think that that would have done something. But beloved, sin is so dangerous, it desensitizes us. It causes callousness to build on things where you at once, there were warnings and red flags and I want to stay away, danger, I want to be careful. Now he's like, okay, no problem. Why? Because he thought too much of himself. I will be fine. But he died for what he had done. But listen now, 
He didn't have to. He didn't have to die for what he had done. David said that his hands were not bound, nor his feet in fetters. Why did he say that? Because he understood the reality of what just happened. Abner, what a fool! You weren't ambushed. They didn't tie you up and and bring you here kicking and screaming. You walked right into it. There are lost people here tonight. You're not bound by the confusion of atheism. You know God exists. You're not bound by the delusion of religion. You know you can't earn your way to heaven. You know the truth. There are lost people that are not tied to religious rituals and religious rites. They're not tied to social pressures or cultural pressures from family or friends. In other words, you're not bound and you're not fettered. And yet, you think you're safe because you're in church. But my friend, you're in danger because you're not in Christ. And there is a big difference between sitting in church and living in Christ. The cities of of refuge are beautiful pictures of Jesus Christ. God appointed these cities. Not Moses, not the priests. God gave the cities. God's Word announced the cities and therefore approved only them. You don't have to turn there, but you can read about them in Joshua chapter 20. Those were the cities God gave and those were the cities that would stay. Now, were there other cities that may look nicer? Sure. Were there other cities that were bigger? Sure. Were there other cities that may look stronger? Sure. But those cities weren't approved by God. Those six were. Does religion offer people other things? Sure. Are there other religions that may let you live better or feel better? Sure. Are there other churches that would allow you to do this or do that that perhaps this church would not? Sure. Are there other religions that would not make you feel so guilty about your condition before God? Sure. But those religions are not approved by God. God said there is only one way. Jesus Christ. Other religions may look better. But God approved only one way. Jesus Christ. The beautiful thing about the cities of refuge was that anyone could access these cities. They were well-placed. If you look at where the Lord placed them geographically, they were accessible for all the tribes. There There was no favoritism there. Amen? Everyone could access them. This is an important time to remind us that we, like the priests then, must make sure the path to refuge is clear. That there's nothing that would hinder others from coming to the city of refuge, from coming to Christ. We are to help the lost, not hinder them. We are to help them come to Christ, not hinder them. But while this is a tragic story of Abner, who could have lived in the city, but instead he died in the gate, just outside the city. Here you are in a scriptural church, hearing about Jesus, like Capernaum, And yet Jesus said it would be more tolerable for Sodom than for Capernaum. Why? Well, because Capernaum had experienced so much of God's goodness. They had been close to Jesus. They had seen Jesus work. They knew He was real, but they didn't accept Him. They didn't receive Him. Abner was close, but close isn't good enough. Being in church is good. I'm glad you're here to hear the truth that no church can save you. You don't need church. You need Christ. Church cannot forgive sin. Christ forgives sin. Church cannot remove sin. Christ removes sin. The gate is not the refuge. The city is. I love this. That I'm going to give you in closing here. And when I say closing, it's going to be just a a little bit. While the city of refuge is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ, I want to tell you tonight and preach with all my heart, if God gives me the ability, how much better Jesus Christ is than cities of refuge.
I want you to think with me about how wonderful Jesus Christ is because God in His goodness is going to paint pictures of Christ. But it's going to take an ark and a global flood. It's going to take a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. It's going to take a tabernacle. It's going to take a Moses. It's going to take a Joseph. It's going to take a Melchizedek. It's going to take a Gideon. It's going to take an Isaiah. It's going to take a David. It's going to take a a temple. It's going to take a a, a brass serpent. It's going to take a crossing of a Red Sea. It's going to take you keep going down the list. It'll take all those things in the Old Testament just to give us a picture of Jesus. Just to give us a glimpse of how wonderful He is. Just, Just the shadow of Jesus takes all those things. Beloved, the good news is tonight, in 2020, you don't have to accept a picture of Jesus. You can have Him, the substance, not the shadow. You can have the fulfillment, not the type or the picture. And I want to encourage you, Jesus is better than the cities of refuge. Why is that? Well, the cities of refuge... You had to get there. But Jesus doesn't say to us, you come here. Jesus came to where we were. I have uh, James. Is that right? Okay. Can you come up here for a second? Should I clip on my microphone here? Can you stay on the floor, buddy? Is this on? Sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm going back on my word here. Can you stand down there on the floor? Okay. Do you like me? Okay, I like you too. Okay, but here's the thing. Do you know how to give a high five? Okay, awesome. Give me a high five. Come on, bud. That's not going to work. Whoa, 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 whoa. You can't, you can't climb your way up to me. You can't work your way up to where I am. Amen? You see where I'm going with this. You can't climb in some other way, son. Hey, amen right there. Come on, give me a high five. Okay, we could be here for a long time, right? He doesn't have it in him to come give me a high five. But I want him to. I love him. I want him to know I love him. But I know there's no way he's making it up here. But while he can't come up to where I am, I can come down to where he is. And I can give you a high five. Good job. You can be seated. Now, I realize it may be a really simple illustration, but beloved, that is exactly what Christ did for us. Our relationship with God is broken because of our disobedience and rebellion. Sin separates us from God. God could have said, here I am in heaven, figure it out. Aren't you glad He didn't? When we could not go to where He was, He came to us. God incarnate. God came down to where we are to live among us. Praise the Lord. You don't have to work to find out where Jesus is. He's already nigh right unto you. He's better than the cities of refuge. You don't have to make it to where Christ is. He came to you. Many could have gotten hurt on the way or lost strength on the way to the city of refuge. They uh, tried to get there, but they couldn't make it. They were exhausted. They were parts. They, they lost strength. I love this in Romans 5.8, but when we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus' refuge is permanent and eternal. Remember what I said a, a little while ago, and I didn't commend you to study it out. You were safe as long as the high priest lived and until you know, when he died, then you'd go back out. And I'm sure that it would be awkward to go back to the family, that, the one that you killed and all, all the things that go with that. But here's a wonderful thing about our high priest. Our high priest is never going to die. He's a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He is king and priest. And he's never going to die. Our refuge is permanent and eternal. But I want to speak specifically on the cities of refuge because the meaning of each city is important. It's like another brush stroke every time God names a city of refuge. 
It's like he's painting a stroke each time, making the picture of who the coming Savior would be. Not just the shadow, we have the fulfillment. So what do these cities of refuge picture? First city of refuge was called Kadesh. Kadesh means righteousness. It means holy place. Beloved, that is exactly what we need. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. It won't clean up anything. It won't be accepted by a holy God. No, we can't go to God in our righteousness. We need another's righteousness. We need a Kadesh. And through Jesus Christ, we're given His righteousness. And His righteousness is not just some abstract thought. Jesus Christ earned His righteousness. Did you know that Jesus Christ was tempted in all points, just like you are, yet without sin? Tempted in all points like you are. Well, you don't, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what I've done. You're right, friend. I may not, but Jesus knows. Jesus knows how you feel and He knows what you've experienced and He knows what's happened to you and He knows what, what you've done. He knows what you've given into. And yet He, living His whole life, never succumbed to temptation or sin one time. He knows exactly how you feel except without sin. In short, Jesus earned the righteousness Adam could not. And by the way, Adam lost in a perfect environment. In paradise, Adam couldn't even do it. Jesus entered a sin-filled world and lived perfectly. That's how mighty Jesus is. That's how strong Jesus is. That is the righteousness you need. You can't stand before God without that kind of righteousness. Without that specific righteousness. Kadesh, holy place, righteousness. Secondly is Shechem. Shechem means a shoulder. Say a shoulder, how is this picture Christ? Beloved, this is one of the most beautiful pictures of Christ. Because a shoulder is where you carry things. It talks about strength and rest. Come rest on my shoulder. Come, come, come. Here, give this. I, I can carry that for you. And I want to tell you how strong our Lord is. The Bible says that Jesus bore our sins. Do you understand that? You know what it means to bear something? It means to carry it. You know what amazes me, Paul? That Jesus was not crushed by our sin. He bore it. It wasn't overwhelming to him, Brian. Overwhelming to me. I, I can't live in sin. It weighs me down. It, it binds me up. I, I can't get, 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 go this way or that way. I am bound by sin. The world's sin poured out on Jesus Christ, but it doesn't buckle His knees and it doesn't crush Him. He bore it like the wonderful Savior He is. And He carried it far, far away. That's who you need to take care of your sin. You need a righteousness that is not yours. You need a shoulder, a rest, a strength, and you need a Hebron. You need fellowship. The only way to have a relationship with God is Jesus. Sin broke fellowship with God. God used to dwell with Adam and Eve. Sin comes along, breaks that fellowship. But now, we need that fellowship. I want the blessing from God. W William, I need it, brother. I mean, I need God's blessing on my life. I need a relationship with God. I need a Father. I need an Abba. I need that in my life. But my sin separates me from God. But then, here's what Jesus says in John chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father. That's what we need. You mean there's a way to get back to God? There's a way to have, a, have fellowship with God again? There, there, there's a way for man to be reconciled to God? Yes, it's Jesus Christ. He's the way. He's the truth. And He's the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by Him. Peter says that the angels desire to look into salvation. You ever wonder why? Why would the angels desire to look into the things pertaining to salvation? Well, think of what they've witnessed, beloved. 
They know who Lucifer is. They know who the devil is. That's not something that some boogeyman pastors create to make people scared about hell. No, God, God, God created hell. Not because he's mean, but because how serious sin is. Rebellion is. He created it for Lucifer and his, and his demons, his angels. And the angels see this. They see what happens. Lucifer rebels against God. Says, I'll be like the Most High. I can do this. I can handle this. I've got this. And God says, you're done forever. No hope. You're banished. And one day it'll be an eternity in the lake of fire. Forever. Eternity. The angels see this creation called man. Adam. And you know what happens? Mark? Man does the same thing. Man rebels against God. Man disobeys. Man had rules and man decided to to not obey God. Man rejects God's rules. This time something's different. God God never went looking for Lucifer. But he went looking for man. He went after Adam. The angels are watching this. And they're watching a fellowship broken... And they're seeing an animal's blood spill into the earth for the first time in human history. And they're seeing God make a coat to cover the consequence and and the result of sin. And they're seeing God make a way for man to be reconciled with God. That had never happened before. That didn't happen to Lucifer, but it happened for us. How good is God? No wonder the angels desire to look into it. And it's beyond their comprehension. When it comes time for us to sing in heaven about being redeemed... We're the ones that sing that song. Because we're the ones that can say, we've been redeemed. Hebron is fellowship. There's fellowship restored because of Jesus Christ. Bezer means fortress. It means a stronghold. No need to go into that. But I can assure you, you already know how unstable you are because of your lost condition. You need some stability in your life. Amen? And you don't need church attendance, you need Christ. Why aren't, why aren't you happy? I mean, you have friends here, that's good, I'm glad that you do, but why, aren't you, why don't you have joy? Why don't you have peace? Because you don't have Christ. So flee to Him and find the righteousness, find the strength, have the fellowship restored, find a fortress in Jesus. Ramoth is the fifth one. And Ramoth means Exalted. Amen? Acts 4 says that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No other name. Colossians chapter 1 said in all things Jesus is to have the preeminence. Listen carefully. Not the prominence. Prominence just means... Yeah, I got a lot of things, but the most prominent thing is Jesus. There's a lot of things in my life, and, but Jesus is in here. No, Jesus doesn't deserve to be prominent in your life. Jesus deserves to be preeminent in your life. It's not one out of many. It's one over everything. Jesus doesn't, it doesn't need to be part of your life. He needs to be your life. People treat Him as if He's some sort of cosmic condiment. Life is pretty good. I just need to add me some Jesus in my life. I just need to add me some church. No, 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 no. Friend, you don't understand. You have nothing without God. Nothing. You need Christ. You need the exalted one. You need the one who is preeminent above all. You need Christ. And then Golan means separated. Separated means this. It was different than all the other ones. Worthy of preeminence. Righteousness, strength, fellowship, fortress, exalted and separated. Special, unique, holy. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6 that our Lord is not only holy, He's holy, holy, holy. That word structure is only found two other times in the Scriptures. It, It means that there is no superlative that we have in our language that, just, that, that does that justice. So, so we repeat it. He's more than the holiest, Leona. That's not even sufficient. He's holy, holy, holy. It means He is utterly set apart. 
and he's willing to be your savior. Amen. So in short, lost friend, I'm, I am begging you tonight. I am pleading with you as an ambassador of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Don't settle for church. Flee to Christ. Matter of fact, I can't say it better than Scripture. So take your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Writing to the Jews, to the, the Hebrews, understanding that all the types and shadows that Christ is better than, he's already spent several chapters on that. He says in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Father in heaven, I pray, Lord, that something said tonight was a help to the lost that are here. I pray that you would give them the grace they need to respond to you in a way that would save their soul. Help them, Father, flee to Christ. Help them not be comfortable in church. Help them not be settled in church. Help them understand their true position, their true condition. Father, we read too many times about people whose lives are cut short too soon. And I don't want to scare anybody tonight, Lord. We're just looking at the reality of, of our lives and how, and how frail they are. But Father, even if a lost person lives to be 100 years old, and if they don't spend one minute serving you, what a waste. So, Father, I pray that you would do the work only you can. I pray that the sinners tonight, the lost tonight, would flee to their refuge, that they would flee to Christ. We commit the response and the invitation to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.